Star Wars 7x7 episode 2078. Well, The Rise of Skywalker is soon going to be available for you to watch in the comforts of your own home, on the comforts of your own phone, however you like to watch it when it gets to streaming availability on March 17th. And to prepare you for it, we're going to start taking a look at The Rise of Skywalker Visual Dictionary and some things in there that will enhance your viewing or reviewing pleasure. Punch it! Hey Rebel Rouser, I'm Alan Voivod and this is Star Wars 7x7. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. So yes, the visual dictionary for the rise of Skywalker. It's not something we've talked about yet on the podcast, but now it is time. And as you can see, if you're watching the video version, I have post-it notes all through this thing, marking out things that I think are going to be fun for you and I to talk about. However, this is not the only copy of it I have. As with the Galactic Guide, I happen to have two copies, and so I will be giving away the one without all the post-it notes <laughs> in it later this month. And thank you again to DK Publishing for sending me copies, not only of the Galactic Guide, but also of the Visual Dictionary <laughs> to read through and check out and opine upon, which is gonna be happening here on today's show as well. I have to say, I am wicked impressed with this one. The visual dictionaries and the cross-sections books and in the case of, say, for example, uh, the Rogue One Ultimate Visual Guide or Solo, you know, the official guide, however you want to call them, these books are already just generally impressive, but the Rise of Skywalker one is particularly dense in terms of the amount of information that it is packing within its pages. And it's certainly fulfilling the promise that's laid out by Pablo Hidalgo at the introduction of the book, where he says, a book like this one has accompanied each film. Now, much like episode nine, this visual dictionary promises to be bigger and filled with revelations. As the Star Wars saga concludes, this guide will look back onto the entirety of the trilogy, examine how episode nine connects to what has come before, and offer insights into what happens on screen and off in the dramatic conclusion of the greatest space fantasy of all time. But even that sells this book short because it's not just tying up all the events of the sequel trilogy, it's not just touching on events from the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy, it's also bringing in TV shows, animation, books, comics, like all these other stories are being referenced in the material that is here in the Rise of Skywalker Visual Dictionary. Like it's astounding the the scholarship, for lack of a better word. Actually, I think scholarship is probably a pretty good word for this. Like the scholarship that has gone into doing this. And I will also say that whereas in the past, the books have had, you know, little bits of story elements here and there woven in with the facts and information that are presented in the very DK style, right? This book is definitely more story oriented than any of the other visual dictionary or cross sections books that I've read before. In other words, compared to you know, previous visual dictionaries and incredible cross-sections books, the work that Pablo Hidalgo has done with the Rise of Skywalker one is you know, more storytelling focused. He actually does more storytelling work in this one, and he is very good at it and gets to really show off his skills. And 
because of the fact that The Rise of Skywalker has some twists and turns that make you rethink what happened in The Last Jedi and make you rethink what happened in The Force Awakens. And no, that's not <laughs> to start conversations about whether J.J. undid what Ryan did or whether J.J. was honoring what Ryan did or anything in between. We're not getting into that. We're just talking about the simple logistics of story. We have the presentation of a story in three different movies, and there's all this other information and all these other stories that happened within and during and intertwined with what we actually saw on screen. And it's Pablo's job to make sense of all of that and to deepen the lore in this particular book. And he does it very well. In the first chapter of the book, which is called The Story So Far, Pablo boils down into about 20 pages the stories of The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, and does it while leaving breadcrumbs that open the doors for a different kind of perception of the rise of Skywalker. For example, in talking about Supreme Leader Snoke, he says that Snoke contented himself to focus on the spiritual side of his leadership, leaving military stuff to the generals and whatnot. But there is a note that says some, like Allegiant General Pride, came to peer behind the veil and realize that Snoke himself was subservient to an unseen force. And again, even just in this first chapter, the book goes on to say that Snoke's entire existence has been built for the moment that Kylo Ren ultimately decides to kill Supreme Leader Snoke in The Last Jedi. It says the Supreme Leader has tested Ren's worthiness as a disciple and unbeknownst to all, his capacity to inherit the Sith legacy. Snoke is no Sith, but his role has been designed by the Sith Eternal Cultists to act as a final crucible to groom and mold Kylo Ren into a master not only of attack, but also cunning. And that right there is telling us more about the movie than we necessarily learned. Like, all those whispering crazy people in the audience when Rey showed up on Exegol, like, that's the Sith Eternal. Like, that's the whole cult. Yes, there were, you know, people working in the lab where we saw Palpatine's body, but, you know, that's just you know, one small slice of what's really going on. It's that final amphitheater where you see all these crazy folks going, ah, 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 in there, right? That's the Sith Eternal Cult, and we're gonna get to learn more about them, and we're already learning more about them as their presence in the story that we've already seen on screen is revealed. Like, just how they were pulling the strings, how they were involved in the events of The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, because according to this earlier on, it talks about how there is a Sith ritual that you have to kill someone you love, which is a thing and has been a thing for quite a while. And so this was, again, Kylo Ren playing into the hands of the Sith, going further down this particular path by killing his dad. And he probably never thought, Kylo Ren, Ben Solo, never thought of the phrase Sith Lord as a good thing, even when he was falling to the dark side of the Force, right? I mean, that still would have had to have rather bad connotations. But you can see that as he was lured away from the light and brought toward the dark side of the forest, that was just step one on the journey to 
ultimately becoming a Sith Lord and becoming the inheritor of a Sith legacy, and they just needed him to get further down the path before we start talking about this whole Sith business. And speaking of that path to the dark side of the Force, there's a great description of the thing that finally pushed Kylo Ren, Ben Solo, over the edge, that moment that we saw over and over again depicted in different ways in The Last Jedi, the Night of Fire, as it's described in the Visual Dictionary. It says, For Luke, it was a moment of instinct, a flash of defensiveness in response to a dark vision of his loved ones in anguish. For Ben, it was an unspeakable betrayal that confirmed every worst fear he had about his family. But this singular moment was a culmination of the snakes and misunderstandings that had built up over the years. In protecting his nephew from the darkest of truths, Luke isolated Ben, and in that isolation, a dark voice twisted Ben's fears into reality. So right off the bat in this book, for me at least, the way that we're getting additional backstory about Kylo Ren and Supreme Leader Snoke and the Sith Eternal Cult and how it becomes formative in Kylo Ren's transition from Jedi Apprentice to Dark Side Pupil to Supreme Leader to Sith Inheritor. This is really well laid out, and it's fantastic. And already, I think, the next time I watch The Rise of Skywalker, it's going to enhance the way I look at the movie. So, there you go. There are a few other little factoids that I want to share with you from that opening section, which I will do right after the break. Stay tuned. Hey Rebel Razor, I've made some changes to the Asteroid Belt level at patreon.com SW7X7 and they are all with sponsors in mind. So if you want to get the word out about your business, your product, your service to a dedicated Star Wars audience, then please check out patreon.com SW7X7 and look for the Asteroid Belt level for details. Again, that's patreon.com SW7X7. Welcome back. So, a couple of fast facts. First of all, that place on Octo where Rey sees the vision of herself, the mirrored images over and over again, that place is referred to as a dark side virgence. And I thought that was interesting because when Rey touches Anakin Skywalker's lightsaber in The Force Awakens, that's also described as a virgence in the Force, those visions that she sees. And that particular virgence isn't described as a light side virgence or a dark side virgence, so, you know, I don't know. It might be a dark side one because certainly the images and experiences that Rey has are not pleasant ones, so it could be, even though the lightsaber, as far as we know, was last wielded by a light side user in Luke Skywalker. He'd had it for three years before he lost it, but certainly <laughs> Anakin Skywalker had it for quite a while and did some very bad things with it in Revenge of the Sith. So, ugh, hard to say. And then there's the confirmation of a fan theory that's been kicking around for quite a while. People were wondering where Starkiller Base came from. Specifically, was it a planet previously that we already knew about? And there had been theories going around saying that it was a planet Ilum, or, or Ilum, Ilum, Ilum. A planet that has appeared previously in the Clone Wars cartoon series where Jedi younglings would go to harvest a crystal for the lightsabers they would eventually make. And it turns out that, yes, this is in fact Ilum. This has been confirmed now in the Visual Dictionary. The Empire took control of it a year after the fall of the Republic, so that would make it 18 BBY, and started terraforming it. 
Turns out the center of the planet is a giant kyber crystal. Yes, at the core, it's a gigantic kyber crystalline structure. And so it made it the ideal planet to transform into Starkiller Base. And we're going to stop there for today, but there is a lot to talk about and we will talk about it over the next few episodes. But for now, that is going to do it for this episode of the show. Thank you so much for joining me for it as always. And may the force be with you wherever in the galaxy you may be. Sunlight 7 is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox, and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2020 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.